On this episode, we talk to Yanni Fry from Bad Luck Bar in Detroit on innovation in cocktails, building your own bar, and Detroit's growth in the bar and cocktail world. Yanni, cheers. Thanks, cheers. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. I wanted to sit down with you because I love this bar. I love what you've done here. And just pick your brain about like, what was the journey to get here? Sure, yeah. Like, where, where did you start? How did you start in this industry? It was uh, semi by chance uh, at a uh, more or less a mom and pop Applebee's. It was a, it was a ch- no, it was a Chili's. Chili's, technically. Uh, it was Chili's that was shut down for five or six years. So it was just dust and they literally just shut the door. So they still had all the weird memorabilia still nailed and glued to the walls. And uh, a local guy came in that had a bunch of other... Uh, restaurants. I think he was doing fast food at the time or still is or whatever. And he's like, I want a cool local mom and pop semi kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I was literally just turned 21. Two days turned 21. Uh, A cousin of mine who's more like an uncle, but technically a cousin, uh, but in age more like an uncle, uh, was the manager there and I needed a job and uh, it was a couple miles away from my parents house where I was living and uh, I got hired and he looked to me he's like hey did you say you bartended or were you just a waiter or were you just gonna do dishes in the back and I thought to myself well I could run around and serve people food which is always fun but I could stand behind the bar and play with fun drinks and colors and just talk to people. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I bartended. Yes. I know. I, I just turned 21 yesterday and I've bartended Br- a lot. Brilliant. So that's just kind of where I started. And you, 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 I got lucky in the sense of getting hired a month before we opened. So I had a little bit of time to just fake it till I made it until we opened. And it was easy at the time because you learn a long Island, you learn Appletini, you dirty martini, you, your top 10, cocktails at the time or all time I should say for more or less I mean regardless of where you are bartending you should know how to make certain things you should regardless. learn how to make an apple teeny absolutely I don't care where you're bartending now or have been or where you're going you should always know what is in it and have had one or at least tried one so learning all those uh, fuzzy navel was my first favorite weird cocktail cocktail I always thought that was a really fun drink because you could have too many <laughs> I don't know. It's such a dumb drink, but you know, a little fresh, you know, fruit juice and some peach liqueur. You can't go wrong. I mean, whatever. So, fast forward to that to realizing, well, you can only do so much with the scene, the the people coming in, and nothing against the customers. It was you can only offer to them what they're semi expecting within reason. If they're coming into an Applebee's or a Chili's, they're in their mind have an expectation of okay, this is the kind of drinks I can get or what they're going to offer. These are the kind of beverages that they're going to offer. You can only push that envelope so much because then you're just alienating your customer by saying, no, what you want isn't good enough. Try this new thing that I'm doing a little bit more higher level. And that's like, but I came in here looking for a pint of beer. Now you're selling me on some 20 ingredient old fashioned. That doesn't connect. Yeah. Uh, So I was really lucky and smart to just okay, let's just go to uh, more of the city life. And I went to uh, a downtown area that uh, had a lot of bistros, and that was kind of the thing, I guess. What year was that uh, where bistros were really popular in the Midwest? Um, 2000, 
what 2000 i guess 10 2009 2008 around then yeah. everyone's like oh let's do a bistro where it's bistro, like gastro pub gastro pub yeah. it's a burger but you can order a la carte fries okay that's cool <laughs> That's great. You know, nothing against it, but that was a big thing. And I went to one of those places uh, right before they opened again, lucky just by chance, and showed up and said, hey, I've been bartending over here. Let's bartend over here instead. Uh, I would love to. This seems like more of a professional setting as opposed to my previous setting. Let's let's do this. And I, again, just lucked out and uh, the, the family trusted me and I did my best being 22 <laughs> and uh, having one year experience and trying to do craft cocktails. And I think it worked out pretty good with uh, no one in the city at that time knowing what uh, an egg white sour was. So here I am doing just your basic gin or vodka because, you know, it didn't matter at the time uh, and a little lemon and simple and an egg white. Oh my gosh, egg white. And I would shake that and give it to people and people would freak out. So yeah. that was just, okay, if I can do this, then let's keep going. And that literally, again, fast forwarded me to here, which is let's do almost anything and everything and offer people a really great experience, but also offer them something that they can't necessarily get anywhere else. And why we use a centrifuge to infuse flavors in certain spirits to make cocktails because we want you to have an experience that you're not going to get at home or get at the local bar. We're all about the local bar, but we want to be able to offer people uh, in our smaller, more intimate setting a reason why they're here to drink. So you said a couple things. One, uh, the Fuzzy Navel is my first drink I learned to make. <laughs> my father was like, he was... You know, he he had a good alcohol collection from his past. And then I think he had kids, m myself and two siblings, and, and just, like, stopped entertaining. And then he got we got to an age where it's like we could be self-contained and he could entertain again. And he gave me, like, two or three Post-it notes with, like, how to make these things on him. It was, like, five drinks. And the first one was a fuzzy navel. Amazing. And so I was think I was 13, and I just made a couple drinks for uh -huh. him and company. And... uh and then from there, I, you said another thing, though, like you went and you learned these drinks while you were kind of on the job. And I went to a bartending school because a buddy wanted to do it. And I learned all these complex drinks. And they could have just taught me like the sour apple martini, the, you know, the Long Island iced tea, relearned the fuzzy navel, mm -hmm. things like that. And then you, you know, I would have been fine. And I would have learned everything after that because I taught so many friends how to get a job in this industry just by a couple things like that. And then anywhere you get hired is going to make you do a week of training. Always. And anyone, Always. anyone wanting to enter into this has a certain level of confidence, which comes from, I think, a, a certain level of intelligence to, to really maximize a week of training and say, okay, I get this. And any questions they had, I was obviously there for them. But it was uh, really interesting in that way. And then you make the place. I think that's so important that like you have to really understand who your customer is or they will tell you like you can have an idea of what your bar is, mm -hmm. but like the customer and the bank will tell you otherwise the oh, bank yeah. when you run out of money and the <laughs> because the customers don't show up. Yep. And if the customers want something, well, I mean, that, more that's or less the type of bar reason. You yep. You got to, uh, I mean, if you don't have guests, you don't have business. So it's great to make your, uh, you know, your, your, your really awesome 
from your adaptation of 1952 cocktail that you found in a dusty old book. That's great. I love that. But that's only 1%, 10% out of the time. And that's great. But as long as you understand that that's only a small percentage of what we're doing and the majority is giving people that great time straightforward without having to think too much about what they're getting because they're just enjoying the company. Yes, we offer really complex cocktails and things that we work really hard on and do a lot of research to try to offer to people. But at the same time, it's not our guests job to have that knowledge that we do. And I think sometimes staffs, uh, companies, beverage programs, they get too upset because the guest isn't as smart as they are when they're never going to be, or they would be working with you. How did this come to be? How did you move from bartending behind others bars to creating this? It was a hundred percent a collaborative effort. Uh, my partner, Dave Kay and our other partner, uh, Mark, uh, Mark Gisola, who is the uh, head chef, um, or I should say main partner investor at uh, Wright & Company, which is a kind of like a bistro, uh, nicer, three times bigger than this place, more of a space, uh, really cool spot. Previous before that place opened up, um, kind of the foundation first kind of thing for cocktail bars uh, to really hit the scene was a place called Sugar House. Uh, downtown Detroit, uh, more I should say just outside of downtown uh, in Corktown, but when I say that, it's like exactly one mile from the heart of downtown. And uh, that's where I went, gravitated towards. I heard that the owner was doing a, a space that only had classic cocktails, and that intrigued me, only working at you know semi-family restaurants and bistros, uh, bistro bars and gastropubs. And I really am like, wow, this is... This is what I want to do. I really want to just do old fashions and crazy Ramos gin fizzes and all sorts of zombies and wild cocktails. And this seems like someone as an owner is finally sharing the same thought process, motivation, passion. And I thought that was really cool. So I just gravitated uh, and went there and got hired the second week that they were open, more or less, around that same time. And uh, worked with Dave for, oh, probably five years. Uh, as their like head bartender next to him, head mixologist, whatever made up a title that we all love to uh, throw out there. But you know, as the leader of the team, and uh, we always had 101 classic cocktails on our menu that we could make at any time. In addition to always having like a 10 to 20 seasonal drinks that we did quarterly. And thinking back on it uh, is a lot uh, to do. Uh, you know. 80 drinks brand new every year, 60 drinks because we're doing it quarterly. So that's four menus, you know, 10 to 20 drinks. You know, you do the math and we were open for four years. So for five years at the time when I was working there, I think they just turned 12. They opened in 2011. So at some point uh, in 2016, Dave and I, well, we, we, this place became online that we're in now, the bad luck, and it was just walls. Uh, everything in this area called Capitol Park, which is in the heart of downtown, we're a block away from the center campus marshes. And uh, this whole area was kind of desolate, even though it's a block away from campus marshes, the downtown of Detroit, it was just vacant and just ready for life. And uh, lucky for us from having uh, just a good name in the city of Detroit with Sugar House and Wright and Company, uh, people hit us up and like, Hey, this is a weird space. And we feel that it could be a cocktail bar and 
you know, we're not saying that you're the best, but you know, you're kind of the leader in, in Detroit right now with, with cocktails and scene, uh, in the scene and with, with and such. So do you want to take a shot at it? So we, I walked in here and it was just walls. There's just nothing. There's nothing. We built everything out in here. And, uh, it was, uh, it was cool just to see that opportunity of just, okay, here's a space. We're going to make a small cocktail bar and, uh, to have that idea is crazy in my mind at the time because we, I always saw these little small speakeasies and Sugar House is a hundred seats, so we have a hundred capacity. And to kind of have a small speakeasy wasn't really a thing in Detroit yet. And we thought, let's let's do it. Let's get crazy. So how did is, you've been, as you said, six years now? So you, I mean, they say about two years is the success point. Like one year. Anybody can open a, uh, a bar, and not anybody, but like a lot of bars think they're doing good and it's only been a year, mm-hmm. but then the hype dies down and it's really that second year that is the, the check mark. Like if you survive two years, you're pretty good. You're doing something well. So if you just maintain those levels, you're great. But you, you know, after your third year, if I'm getting my timing correct, we hit COVID for you. Mm-hmm. How yeah. did that affect you? How did how did you all get through that? We shut down straight up, uh, and I think a lot of our success was due to us being really smart before that. We had no idea COVID was gonna hit most almost everyone. Obviously, if you did, good for you being psychic, but no one really knew it was gonna hit, or at least hit as hard as it was. Yeah, totally. And. Uh, Regardless of us thinking, oh, we'll be shut down for a month or two months. We'll just call it a fun summer vacation snow day, you know, extended, uh, you know, and obviously turned into what it was. We we're more or less closed down for the whole year. And obviously, you know, we are a small s- space. We're a small staff and we all loved working here. Or at least, you know, it was a it was a cool it was a tight knit crew is what I'm trying to say. And uh, we were all friends with each other to some extent. To some extent, even though we were all professionals and working with each other, and we just stayed in communication. And unfortunately, a lot of people couldn't return, and uh, we could only keep on, you know, the the top more seniors. And it, it was a it was a real struggle. It was a real yeah. it was a real tough time. But I think a lot of that is just the tenacity of we were always smart. Uh, going into things, uh, not having really big overheads, not uh, biting off more than we can chew with doing menus or cocktail ideas and stuff. And I think just kind of always being here we are, we're doing our thing. We didn't, I don't try to spend too much money or if any, you know, throwing it out there with magazines and advertising. So we didn't have debt and stuff as much. So we were just funny you talk about magazines you know what i'm saying like okay here we are we'll just freeze we still have to pay rent which is the thing but other than that you know we we got out you know that that year back was it was tough i was working every day doing multiple things i think honestly that's that's a big thing A, a lot of us did double duties triple duties you know i was i couldn't necessarily hire a cleaning person back the second we opened it took six months before we were like good so i did I cleaned it, whatever. We didn't have a bar back necessarily, so I did that. Yep. Someone else was, you know, we didn't have three bartenders that we normally had. We only had two, so the guys would just, the guys and the gals would just hustle a little harder, and they were cool with that, and that's what we did. And I think that was also another thing. Helped getting you get us back. Through. Yeah, yeah. To now. Now we're six, five days again. So we were six, 
six days. Uh, yeah. So what days do you close? Sunday, Monday. Sunday, Monday. Now nice. we were when we ended up being open Monday just for that last year. So we were open for Monday for one year, and then COVID hit. So, but now we're back to five days, which is fine. So what? Um, why bad luck bar? Why? What's the name? There's uh, a lot of things. Uh, myself and Dave, my partner will tell you different stories. I like my story. I'll tell you his story. Perfect. Uh, my story is that the idea of having a one door entrance and exit, uh, we were unsure of if we were even going to get approved to open the bar. And then once we started doing work, <laughs> we still were unsure if we were going to be able to open the bar because the city was like, Ooh, you know, we're kind of maybe thinking, uh, changing our minds. We're like, Oh my gosh, we're halfway there. You can't tell us no now. You already told us yes. What do we got to do? So a lot of us was like, you know, uh, the public and uh, other friends and family were like, that's, that's like bad luck to open a bar in an alley with no windows, one door, no signage really in downtown Detroit, which uh, isn't really scary now, but has a a name of has a reputation has a reputation of being a little tough if you're walking down random alleys it's probably not the thing to do in detroit of all cities uh so to kind of have all of these crazy things together in the perfect storm i embrace that i believe personally uh that if you think of bad luck if you start your day and think that this is going to be a bad day regardless of that day being good or bad, it will be a bad day. You uh, put that energy out there, and that's what I think you get. So by us saying, hey, we're called bad luck, we want, I'm a, I like to play with that and say that you lose your bad luck when you're here. Yeah. And you leave and you start fresh. Well, certainly if you already made it through the alley. 100%. You're 50% there. You found it. You got in the door. We let you in. We're like, hey, here you are. Everything's cool. Uh, another little thing is uh, I'm Greek, and a big Greek thing that I've always grown up with is the evil eye, the mati. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a fun thing for us to kind of uh, play with, with the idea of bad luck and luck and good luck and uh, mythology and astrology and witchcraft and all these kind of like folklore kind of things. So we had a really fun uh, time merging the Greek eye with like the all-seeing eye of Ra, and that's some of our imagery that uh, is our neon lights. And we love to, you know, tell people that that's kind of that it wards off the evil. It was always a thing that you wear an evil eye uh, jewelry for protection. So that's, that, that, that's kind of the, the angle. And I really thought that it was a lot of fun and there's a lot of elements and uh, cool things to be inspired by, to make cocktails and to create an ambiance based around that, style so my wife carries all those types of bracelets mm -hmm. an evil eye a red band from somewhere else everything like that and god help me if that evil eye bracelet falls off it's like a cheap bracelet from greece back in the day mm -hmm. and if that thing falls off while she's walking the dog or something like that is my fault i've done something what have i done mm-hmm good thing there's lots of hennessy to uh yeah to smooth things over right so what's the other story? The other story is Dave loves to read and read uh, a book by the author that is escaping me at the moment, but he did um, Blade Runner. 
okay. uh, that author. And he ended up in his uh, professional life going a little crazy towards the end. And just, you know, obviously kept writing books, Blade Runner, other books I can't think of, and wrote his last book. And it's like a really long, weird title. But if you look up the author of Blade Runner and you look up his last book, it's that book. And in there, it's not even a place, but it's a mention of a place called Bad Luck. And it's a bar where people kind of meet to get things done. And that's it. Like, there's no, it's just a reference, just in passing. He just thought that was so fucking cool. And I can't disagree. Yeah. And he's like, that, that'd be a cool name. So the two things came together. <laughs> so we're like, yeah. yeah, okay, great. That's perfect. I love all of that. That gives me a starting point and an inspiration to why we're doing everything. And you are that random collection of carbon molecules that spit out a random idea. Because, you know, nothing in life is on purpose necessarily. I believe. I think everything is just coincidence and random. So keep your eyes and ears open. And there's, there's lots of things to be inspired by. So totally. When we're like, hey, we're going to open a bar. What should we name it? What should we do? What should we paint the colors? How should we do our whole mood board? We walked in the space and started from there. And I think that helps us get an organic feel to the place. We didn't like manufacture a space in our heads and then like buy this place and then, okay, we're going to do it. No, we had to like, okay, here's what we have. Let's try to fit as many people in at the bar that we can. How many stations can we do? Okay, this has to make an adjustment. And here we are. So how did you get from like Sugar House that was largely classics, very, you know, taxidermy, Mm -hmm. lots of wood, everything like that, to this premise where... The name kind of fits into a lot of the cocktails as far as like the the astrology and, and the mysticism I've seen. Like I've had a cocktail here with like a, a tarot card mm-hmm. covering it and you do a whole reading yes. with that. Like where did that all come from? Where was the switch to go from from classics to uh, it was just Ima- imaginary. It's, 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 it's having a purpose. It's having a reason. I don't want to give people... Like you have to have a reason for what you're doing. Why are you where you are? Uh, not to say that it's everything's random, like I just did, but like if you're going to a cocktail bar, what are you doing there? Are you talking to people? Are you drinking? Are you getting drunk? Are you just doing a little alcohol? I mean, like there's so many things that you can do when you're in the public. So we wanted to make sure that, okay, we have Sugar House. We're known. We've been open for many years now. People know that we do classic cocktails. We do it really well. We have a four fancy bartenders behind the bar at bar stations, all shaking cocktails all night long. It's a hot scene. It's, you know, Friday night. You're, it's, it's, it's fun. Uh, we wanted to, how can we, like, without, again, alienating everyone in certain demographics, like, we still have a beer and we still have, you know, two, three hundred hour cognacs, rums. Uh, whiskeys, you name it. You know, uh, we have the the Pappy thirteen year for three hundred and thirty dollars an ounce, which is it is what it is for the rarity and how much we paid for the bottle and etc. We have Hennessy Paradis, which is the only bottle that we've ever gotten, uh, and that's that's been pretty good. That's probably a quarter of the way down since we've been open. Um, actually, we didn't get that at the beginning of the year. We got that like halfway through, so that was actually like two three years, three quarters of that bottle. So that's a yeah. fancy one. So. Again, to be able to have a place in my mind where someone's spending two, three hundred hours on cognac sitting next to a guy who's drinking a beer in an old fashioned 
is a magic in my mind. Yeah. And it uh, doesn't really happen in most places. Um, so I really would just liked that idea of just offering that in addition to we're all really talented and smart and have a passion for flavors and cocktails and trends and things that are happening uh, around the world and in our uh, backyard as well. And to just elevate everything, you know, an old fashioned an old fashioned. That's great. But like, what if we really just upped the ante and did like truffle infused bitters and instead of just doing a standard bourbon, let's do something that people wouldn't necessarily ever use in a cocktail uh, because it's too fancy or it's too nice or it's too rare. I don't think there's anything wrong personally with using like Hennessy XO in a cocktail. I think that you have I to, so I think that you need to be a little bit more conscious about what you're doing. Uh, and, and it's easy to be reckless with uh, things that have taken years to make. I mean, when you, if, you don't know how Hennessy XO is made. That's one of my favorite reads, you know, 130 or more different Udavis blended together. I mean, that's fucking crazy yeah. to think about someone or a small group of people tasting things that are, what, what they have Udavis in there that are 100 years old or more. That's the parody. Or parody, but that's still, that, XO yeah. is st- 50 years old is one of some of the oldest. I mean, that's yeah. still crazy to, for me to think about that there's juice in this bottle that was aged before... Before you cared about alcohol and or were a thought. Or the yeah. person who's making it, you know, made it and knew that they were going to die before they ever could, could taste it or ch- check it out or try it. That's a wild thing in my mind. So, Yeah, I think there's moments that you can take a cocktail... You can take a spirit and you can put it in, you know, you mentioned the, the uh, egg white sour before. It's like at a time it didn't matter what, what the base was in it. And it's, you know, it's true. It's to see what flavor profile, what little note of flavor do you want from that base? Cool, pick that one, go from there, but it's really about the rest of it. And then there are other cocktails that are, you know, like this Sazerac that it's like that base matters. So you need a better understanding of what that base is. And then somewhere along, like there's... You know, you come back from this and somewhere in between there's an Negroni where the base matters, but the other things also matter 100%. a lot. And, you know, it's, it's finding out those, those unique things. And one of the things I love about visiting new bars is seeing their take on it. Like what is, like I know how I like my Sazerac. Mm. I know how I like my old fashioned, how I like my Manhattan. But like I, I haven't tasted every vermouth in the world. Right. I haven't tasted every combination of a vermouth and a combination, and a, yeah, and especially a, and a base. So, what what's your take on it? And I love seeing that at different bars, and um, they're different things. So, how do you? What's Bad Luck's take on that? Like, how do you how do you get a whole team, even a small team, to all be aligned so that every time I come in, like I don't need you to mm-hmm. be behind this bar? That was a tough thing for honestly me personally. Uh, I came from bartending almost as a solo sport because regardless of your team you're I'm not I wasn't the owner I'm there representing myself when guests came in they're like I'm you know I'm I'm dealing with this guy I'm not dealing with a, a place you know and there's a pride that comes with that of course and an ego unfortunately uh and once you kind of get past that which for me was just time you learn you live and you learn uh you really start to let go on, yes, here is this recipe that I made because 
you can come up with a recipe too and it's arbitrary, you know, and everything is within reason. I don't want to say the same, but you can only make, you can only stir a cocktail so many different ways. You can only shake a cocktail so many different ways and uh, there's variances, but at the end of the day, it's the same thing more or less yep. uh, with the actions. So uh, once I mentally was able to like, okay, I can tell everyone else my quote unquote secrets, if you will. Uh, I w- that, that, that was the beginning. That was the start. So just having senior bartenders and people who are here, because everyone that works here wants to do this. They're not just like here and passing. That's, that's a privilege of, of us and our staff that we just, people gravitate and we look and see and hire people that want to do this. So that's just right out the gate. We're lucky to have that because a lot of places don't. It's like, oh, I'm here. I kind of know how to bartend or I know how to bartend, but I really don't care or I'm doing something else, which is fine. I, I have nothing against people having like multi-faceted lives or, you know, lifestyles and personalities and professions. But for here, one of the main focus that people do is they care about hospitality and they care about making fun drinks. So serving people and making fun drinks. So the fact that we have that I did the first menu, every single drink I did 100% myself, more or less. Uh, of course, I was always open to feedback and tweaking things with our team and like, oh, hey, this tastes a little bit like this. Let's try this out. But more or less, I'm like, here's the menu. Let's make them. Okay, great. And then over the years, it's like, okay, I see what you did here, Yanni. Look what I did here, kind of a similar thing. And it just naturally evolved to a collaboration to a collaboration. I think that's, I think that's a huge maturity factor in what you said earlier about letting people like opening up the kimono, so to speak, letting everybody, you know, see your tricks, um, the way you approach things, because I, I know people that are amazing mixologists, Mm -hmm. chefs, whatever, but they held their kimono too tight. And they, it limited their, their ability, especially as a bar owner, to expand because they were never willing to give 100% of the recipe away. Sure. It was almost like, a, have you heard the stories about the old like tiki bars? Where Trader they, Vicks. Where they'd have like Don syrup the beachcomber. number seven. Number Don the Beachcomber number mix number yeah. six. And so you never knew what was in it because he, he just held the keys too tight. And you're, that's great, but you are now limiting your expansion beyond that. And, and I think at the end of the day, I think there's one of the motivational speakers nowadays that says like, talk to anybody about your business idea. Talk to anybody about any of your ideas. If there are very few people that have the guts to actually go out and do it. So they could take your recipe. And the only thing I would say is if somebody takes a recipe, just like mention it. Sure. I got this from bad luck bar. This is Yanni's recipe or this is Jordan's recipe or this is whatever. It's like, Fine. Or just, even just a regional thing, just, you know. That's, reference, I think that's yeah. fine, too. I, don't, I, I think it's it, amazing. It's a food, you know, people get too hung up on and, on that with everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you can't copyright food, so you can't copyright drinks, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, everyone, trying to copy brings out some beautiful renditions. And I think that, you know, the last word is, is somewhat... Uh, argued as being a Detroit cocktail is not being a Detroit cocktail with 
whatever in recent light of new historical documents findings or whatever some scrap piece of napkin that someone found like oh well this person said that they had a last word in this city or state and it contradicts this doesn't matter yeah oh well you make a last word equal parts oh you make it with not equal parts oh you make it with whatever you know who cares you know it's within reason chicken noodle soup is you have mirepoix and you have chicken and you have noodles Mm-hmm. And water, of course. And, but, and I mean, you know, I mean, but it, it that it, there's a million ways to make chicken noodle soup. And what type of ego do you need to have to record every step of what you did? Like, Dave was the first person to drink this cocktail mm-hmm. at this time. I have some day. of that historical because oh, oh, I was day. very into that initially. But, but but you know, like when they go back a hundred years ago and they go, do you think the guy that invented X? classic cocktail it's like somebody on the other side of the earth could have been playing with a very similar combination Mm -hmm. especially when you're looking at like an egg white sour sure it's like where was the first one of those i don't know but no one will ever know and it's all just fun stories but that's cool and that's that's another fun thing about bartending is that the lore the 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 stories but you gotta not take things too seriously. I think some people are like, no, I heard that the Raffles in Singapore invented the Singapore sling. And like, no, I heard if you read this one book, the cocktail recipe is in there as a straight sling. And then the bartender at the Raffles Hotel was inspired by that and just added some fruit juice to it to make it more sweeter for the hotel guests, which makes sense. Well, now that's the same. What, what, whatever, man. Whatever. Yeah. So I've got a... Uh there was a bar that opened in Toronto. It's this back alley speakeasy. It's not there anymore. Right on. But it's like behind a sneaker shop or something. Like they had this extra, they had more storage than the sneaker shop needed. Fun. And so one of the owners was like, ah, cool, contacted XYZ. Got this bar in there. It was pretty cool. The bar was like, I think it was like old radiators were like the bar front. Okay. And they built I can something imagine on top that. of it. Like true 1920s speakeasy. Like this isn't supposed to be here. Uh, I'm pretty sure they had a liquor license, though. Um, and But they had, they researched all the oldest recipes. So I remember going in there, and, and friends were excited, because Toronto, we had a number of things going, but like we didn't have, you could count the number of actual cocktail bars where there's full dedication to the program on cocktails, not just like a restaurant that no, had they, some they cocktails. No, they kept the vermouth in the fridge. Yeah. And they, but their, their old-fashioned recipe they were like, this is the oldest old-fashioned recipe we could find. And it was um, what I would later learn is a Wisconsin old-fashioned. Mm. Which, for those that haven't had a Wisconsin old-fashioned, mm-hmm. just look up the YouTube videos of people making a Wisconsin old-fashioned. because There's nothing wrong with the drink. There's just a lot wrong with the pride they take and how crap it is. The presentation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I should be the one celebrating a brandy-based brandy old-fashioned old more than anyone, and I'm still like, I can't, I can't wrap my head around this. So there's something to be said for the original recipe, mm-hmm. and there's something to be said for tweaking for today's palate or the or the place or the environment. Totally, totally. you know, a pina colada with, you know, whatever in the winter in the, Detroit, the, the fake yeah. Coco Lopez when you're on the beach at a resort is amazing. Is amazing, but if you take that garbage, quote unquote garbage drink, and say you're drinking that in Detroit, depending on the day, 
I mean, because I can argue, well, if it's winter, it makes you think of that time. But if you, you know what I'm saying. It, it's not the same. Giuseppe Gonzalez not the same. stands behind Coco Lopez in nothing in against a pina it. I, I just meant like that. No, I know, I know, I know exactly what or, you mean. You know, with flavored, you know, the cheapest flavored rum, you would might. Oh, that's great when I'm in Cozumel at the resort. Yep. But when you're at it. your home bar, that's like you would. What you would golf? You would you absolutely not scoff at the that look at. The bartender, like, you're crazy for even picking up a bottle of Malibu, but yeah. when you're in Jamaica, let that Ray and Nephew flow, baby. You sound so far away, I can't hear you in my ear anymore. So you're Curacao washing. So you take the label off, but you leave the yellow cap on so you know what it is. Pretty even. My left hand is not nearly as quick as my right. I have to slow down my right stir to keep my left from looking like it's been drinking too much. Bad luck, I. So I made uh, a not old-fashioned, old-fashioned. Uh, it has everything that's in an old-fashioned, but it's not an old-fashioned. Cheers, let's look at. Yeah, a not a not old-fashioned, old-fashioned, because you have spirit, water, sugar, bitters. Um, I like having a little bit of fruit, but uh, I don't want to have simple syrup always on hand at home. So a bottle of orange liqueur works great. Uh, do a rinse, do a dash of bitters, do some cognac, stir it. Uh, I like it. it. It's a little strong at first, but it's meant to sip. Uh, normally you're making this with uh, home ice. So uh, it's not, I don't usually have cubes at home. Yeah. So here it is. I um I quite enjoy, I've been playing recently with a lot of, not a lot, but a couple drinks like this, especially with something like XO. Um, sure. Reductionism. Like I don't have things at home. I mean, I, I don't want to say I don't have things at home, but I am a professional. Um, I don't full-time bartend like I used to every night, but even when I did, I was never coming home and being like, let's make a zombie. Yeah. Or even after my shift at work before I left, even if I had, you know, regardless of my, my drinking consumption level, which was always professional and appropriate, because yeah. uh, you got to be aware 
you're the adult at the party, not the kids, unfortunately. But anyways, um, being responsible and having, you know, one little nightcap before you go home, I never wanted to make, I don't know how you were. Some bartenders I've seen will like make a 30 ingredient cocktail and prep it and like do it. And that's great. Uh, but I'm like minimalism and I think that's great. And you can do this. I don't want to say almost anywhere, but having those three ingredients in a bar without having fruit in a peeler or, you know, just fruit in general or simple syrup made, boom, done. But, but I like, I'm really interested in the reductionism aspect. It's like when you have the, when you pick specific ingredients, like I'm, what interests me about cocktails now is not so much it's like, can you make a great daiquiri? Can you make a great Negroni? Can you make a great Manhattan? But like, what about this rye inspired the choice of this vermouth, inspired the choice of this bitter in your Manhattan? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and do you need the specs that we all think of in a Manhattan, like a 2-1? Or are you going... Four one or where are you going with or it? flipping and, it and and why did you make that decision like mm-hmm. these are the things that really interest me about that and it's like it's like if I'm using Carpano Antica as a real simple example mm-hmm. I'm not going to use as much of it as I would another vermouth or Punta Mace which is essentially the same thing but a little bit more bitter so yeah. you have a little bit more wiggle room to not be as sweet so I like I like being able to take different ingredients and just either highlight them or highlight an aspect of them by real reductionism in it. It helps that I also like booze forward cocktails because reductionism it immediately means probably less filler things. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, it was almost awesome. The whole hotel cocktail trend. It was, I love the idea of it. Let's make drinks without, having anything but i think you need just a little bit of something Mm. to be able to make a little bit of nothing yeah you know having a bottle of bitters goes a really long way (laughs) as opposed to just like let's just make some hennessy and some water like that's cool but uh, i need a little more if i'm going to consider that necessarily a cocktail i mean hennessy on the rocks is great whatever bourbon on the rocks rum on the whatever yeah yeah. but if we're like saying we're going to make a drink i'm making a cocktail i'm like doing something you got to do something more, a little bit more. That's all. And I think that's where you're also getting it with the re- idea of reductionism. It's not just having Hennessy BSP on a rock, but it's also not as complex necessarily as an old fashioned. But I could argue that this could be as complex as an old fashioned because it's hitting totally. all the same points just in a lateral way. And I think that people don't necessarily see that. They're like, oh, no, this is an old fashioned because of X, Y, and Z, this is a Wisconsin old-fashioned. There is no other old-fashioned. Like, why can't you just... Anything could be anything, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Why not? The, technically, the first old-fashions didn't have ice. So you just had room-temperature water because they didn't have ice machines. How, yeah. how authentic do we yeah, want to get? Yeah, su- you had sugar, and you had to add water to, like, dilute the sugar to yep. create simple syrup. They say My favorite thing is they say simple syrup is the first molecular mixology ingredient <laughs> where somebody realized mm-hmm. hey to make this drink easier we could pre-dilute the sugar mm-hmm. it's amazing mind blown blind mind blown yeah it's amazing so that's just i really love that kind of aspect of playing with that idea of like uh, anything could be anything within reason yeah i love that you know 
the idea of and honestly the real reason i got into now that i'm thinking about this after a cocktail um that i was inspired by bartending i guess i, I told you how i got into it and how i got here but why i stayed in it uh it's great to talk to people it's great to make connections it's fun to have a different night every night those are all there's a million oh it's fun it's loud it's exciting whatever you get to meet so many people who cares that's great there's a lot of jobs you can do that the cool thing that really blew my mind was the ability to in my mind make magic in front of myself and i know what i was doing the whole time i did it i was the magician and i still am blown away by the magic and the magic was my dad uh, got me a book. It was a cocktail book. My dad used to be a chef for many, many years. So he was, you know, he's, he's, he's on the up and up on food and culinary skills and all that jazz. So uh, I was bartending for a couple months. I bought myself the Jerry Thomas uh, 18, 16, 1888, 18, 1882 edition of... Um, like an original copy? It's like the one of the reprints. Okay, yeah. It's like the revised deluxe edition. The, it says like two fifty on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's a great book. Uh, I can't. I didn't understand any of it. I'd literally still. I mean, even now, having you know almost twenty or fifteen years hospitality and bartending experience, I still have, some of that stuff is fucking weird and just like doesn't make sense. And you have to like look it up, like because it just doesn't exist anymore. But anyways, that was my first book. I'm like, this isn't really helping me. So my dad just got me some random book from Barnes and Noble at the time. Uh, it might have been Borders Books. They were still around. But anyways, uh, some random bookstore. And uh, it had in there a gin sour. They had a bunch of other drinks, sour mix. But this book had contradictory ideas of using sour mix or using fresh juice. And like they just grabbed recipes from anywhere. Just a, calm, just a random just book of red recipes that had some cool, fun pictures in it. I'm like, oh, look at this nightclub in Brazil. They make a caipirinha. Here's what a caipirinha is. And it's just like a generic version of a caipirinha. But then some drinks were like, use sour mix. Some drinks were like, squeeze half of a lime. And one drink was a gin sour, powdered sugar, fresh lime juice, gin, shaken, strained, drink it. And I made that like in the first six months of bartending. And to be able to take, it was specifically beef eater gin. And an old lady, really old lady at the time, Really nice lady. I don't even know who she well, was. Well, probably still old. She's not just not living anymore. She's yep. she's <laughs> she was a hundred when I met her, and she's like beef eater gin. That's the gin, and I'm like that's disgusting. I hate gin. It's so gross on the rocks. Gin and soda, gin and tonic. At you the just time. lost your bartender card. It was so <laughs> gross. Well, you know, I was 21. I don't know yeah, anything. Yeah. And fuzzy navel was again my favorite drink. So what do I drink gin for? And. Uh, the fact that I took something in my mind that was so gross and I made it, I'm like, this is my new, this is the, fi- this is the best thing. Uh, gin. This is the best drink I've ever had in my life. And I've been to some bars and I've been to parties. I'm like, why haven't I ever had, why is no one making a gin sour with fresh lime juice and powdered sugar and gin and shaking it? Why is that not a thing? And at that point it made it, I made it my passion and job to be like, we're going to do things for real. And that that's how I got here. Do you think every bartender reaches that point where they, well, of a certain age, I'm going to say, every bartender of a certain age reaches a point where they force gin on somebody knowingly or unknowingly? Absolutely. I did where, that. Where they're like, I, 100% I love did vodka. vodka. I 100% did that. I, I don't want to say I'm ashamed or regretful of it because it was what it was and I didn't know any better at the time. But... 
Yes. I think you shouldn't do that anymore. And I'll tell anyone, do not fucking do that. And absolutely not. That's so dumb. Because in my quick logical philosophy, you give someone that great vodka drink. They're not upset. They calm down. They see what's going on in the room. And they're like, oh, hey, bartender. Thanks for making me that stupid ass vodka drink the first time around. Because that's what I wanted. And I don't want to listen to your gib-gab, jib-jab, whatever. Why don't you make me whatever you want? Great. Sounds great. No problem. Versus the opposite of like forcing it the first time around. Don't do that. Don't just let it happen. Let it happen naturally. So the the bar where I first got complete control. We had this was thirteen years ago. No. I've been with Hennessy for thirteen it was fifteen years ago and I had two vinegar cocktails on the menu in Toronto on like the hot strip of nightclubs and everything. And, but the third cocktail on the menu was a Cosmo mm-hmm. made with fresh lime, like a splash of cranberry. So it was actually pink instead of a vodka cranberry sure. with orange in it. Um, it was a beautiful Cosmo and we flamed the orange twist solely oh, yeah, Dale at, a la Dale DeGroff. So, so, so that, because people would come up and be like, oh, vinegar? Like the second drink had balsamic vinegar in it. And they were like, what the? F-? And then the third drink was a Cosmo. And so they went, oh, we'll take the Cosmo. Yep. And they'd order it from us and then look at each other and start having a conversation. And then this like burst of flame would go off like in the corner of their eye. I mean, wait, what did you just do? Well, I just found oh, your orange just, peel. Yeah. So whatever. And, what uh, <laughs> and then they'd have the Cosmo and they'd come back and say either, I want another one of those. Mm-hmm. That's the best Cosmo I've ever had. Or make me whatever you want. Some of them would give the caveat of, but it's got to be vodka. And then I'd be like, okay. And then it was, here, I've made you this. If you don't like it, I got of it. Of course, of course. And it was not vodka. It of was course. Gin. It was, it was always juniper gin. flavored vodka. It was always juniper flavored vodka. Always. Yes. But I, uh, we've learned, I remember, at, so this is a great thing. Uh, year one at Sugar House, we didn't have vodka. Period. Zero. I think there was a there was a stage though where bars I think especially like anthology bars there wasn't anything bad about it it was just it was, the beginning it was a way to it was a way to just take that off the table it was like forcing the issue it was a hundred percent saying hey there is more to cocktail scenes than a single spirit that has a variety of executions and flavors yeah that's it you, you have to do this it's, we're taking that away we couldn't do flavored vodkas because essentially we had liqueurs because that's a, a tried and true tradition. Yeah. Got to have that. I mean, we didn't have, we had liqueurs, uh, you know, people would argue, well, oh, Udavi's liqueurs, which one was first, but I mean, mm, what doesn't matter. Adding, it's, it's adding at the beginning, flavor to alcohol, a little bit of flavor and sugar to alcohol is a thing, but the idea of removing that sugar or adding artificial flavors to the, the spirit and then having it just be an alcohol with fake flavor we were against and we still are we have no flavored vodkas here so you were against flavored vodka at sugar house or all vodka? we had all vodkas no. no vodka and then after like a couple months we're like okay we'll have like a plain vodka because there's no reason like to have a nice polish traditional russian yeah. just gen- st- i want to say generic but straightforward classic yeah. vodka no, no nonsense vodka i know nonsense vodka even something as popular as like kettle one is arguably a no-nonsense non- no vodka in yep. the classic sense because yep. they're an old family and they make vodka and it's vodka. Great. So we had that 
after a minute. But still to this day, we have no, even in this bar, this bar sugar house, no flavored vodkas necessarily. Yeah. There so might if be you like wanted to flavor something, you would just flavor it yourself. Yep. Use a syrup or a bitters or a tincture or a liqueur. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Genius. That's it. And so I think there was a, there was a, a rise at a time of like bars needing to, it's like, it's like they would also have an egg white sour on the menu, bars that didn't have a vodka because they needed to like legitimize what they were doing. Sure. Like you needed in, in like a couple statements to say like, this is what you're going to get here. Recognize that. And, and not everyone did it delicately, but I think it was, it was a point and think, thankfully we've moved past it. Yes. I think as the most part, but we're at a, it helped solidify, like it, it, it helped to sometimes jarringly move the customer into the boxes we wanted to start asking more questions. Like, this isn't bad. We just want you to not have it as an option so that you have to ask questions about it. So I had this thing about like, like egg white in a cocktail does the same thing as, as my theory. My theory is always want to drink on a menu that makes you ask a question. Like, why the fuck is this in this? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love the breakfast martini. Yep. Why did you just put jam mm-hmm. or marmalade orange, in, that, orange marmalade in that guy's drink? And it's like, oh, well, this is why. Because it works really well, and a, mm-hmm. a, a marmalade or a jam Mouthfield, is basically sugar. like a liqueur mm-hmm. no without alcohol. the alcohol. Like it's got all the flavors. It uses all parts of the orange. Blah 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 blah. I like those questions. Like I don't. I, I like you know a little bit of draft beer. Like an, I use an IPA in a drink. Like sure. like an ounce of it. Hundred percent. So that somebody could be like, "Did you just put beer in that martini?" And it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is why I did. Like I want to. I want to. I want to force engagement, but if I, as the bartender, am forcing engagement, like just spouting knowledge at you, you might not be receptive. It doesn't matter. I want, I want that, that moment where you go, where you, you order the Miller High Life, and then you see everything going around, and you're now forced to engage with, something piqued your interest, and now you're engaging with me. And now I get to show you what type of bar you're in. It's so much easier. I hate forcing anything. And I always tell everyone who's starting to bartend here, I don't care where you've been, how much experience you have. First, let's just, here's what we do straightforward. Here's stirring and shaking. Here's our logic and our workflow on things. And then beyond that, it's it's all hospitality. It's talking to people. Um, You know, this is such a crazy bar in the sense of like we might have nights where we don't have a lot of guests number wise and we do high volume or high numbers in sales because some people are just like, hey, there's no one here. Let's talk about what weird bottle you have that's collecting dust that I would love to spend some money on and sit here and just marinate over whatever you're going to tell me. Well, I see a couple. There's, we got a few. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the cool thing is we don't have windows, so it's not going bad anytime soon. Uh, there's no UV uh, uh, damage to any of our booths, so it's going to be here. And it's cool for a Tuesday night when uh, we don't have too many people in here and people can be like, yeah, let's let's do a 100-hour old-fashioned and just get wild. What? Or a Saturday where we have 10 times more people and just people are just coming in and getting straightforward drinks. What's really cool about your back bar and if, if for those that 
can't see it, um, you need to come here because it's, it adds to the mysticism here because it's just like they're backlit. And so you can, if you know the bottle, you can tell it's that bottle. But you can't really, like a lot of them are shadows. It's just a blur. Yeah. It's a working it's piece of art. Cool. Dave always said uh, at Sugar House, we had a lot of selection that wasn't, I mean, it was on, we had like a spirits menu and stuff, but, you know, we're not utilizing every bourbon that's on the bourbon shelf in a cocktail. It's like we have a bunch of bourbons that are just, we have them. You, know, you yeah. want them on the rocks, or if you want an old fashioned with them or whatever, we can got them. But it's a, he would tell other people in interviews and stuff, and I learned from him, obviously. You watch, you watch Dad. Um, it's a working piece of art. It's like we don't need to sell the Octomore every night. We can have the one bottle and it's there and we know about it. And when someone asks about it or if someone's like, I or really the love seven bottles. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, one every year. <laughs> and uh, we have it and yeah. you can, you can try it out. And at the same time, if that's not what you're into and you just want uh whatever we, we got that too. And that's great. And I love having that, uh, that feel of both. And that's, that's really important. So what, what has been the biggest learning of going from, you know, managing somebody else's bar, mm. running somebody else's bar, head mm. bartender, whatever you want to want to word it, because mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of fluidity between these roles, to owning your own. What was the biggest learning uh, within that step? Um, so I made up an idea called the the absinthe conversation, which is, <laughs> and it's a lot of it is with guests, and you can also you know potentially use this with your staff but it's more with guests and the idea of like you're bartending and two people are at the bar and one person starts talking about absinthe and it does this and that and it's really crazy and they were in france and they lost their mind and they have a cool new tattoo because they drank absinthe and they woke up and they have a it's just the most craziest stories that probably didn't happen that's cool whatever but i would always at a younger age interject be like hey just so you know Absence not illegal. I have I have many bottles. Oh, you don't have the real stuff. You don't have. And at a point, long story short, you get to where it doesn't matter how much you correct the the guest because it's not. They don't give a shit if you're telling them the right thing. They're just making. They're regaling a fucking made up story to their friend or their date or whatever that they're there with, and you're just some guy that's. Actually, Bro, you're killing my pickup. Actually, knowledge. <laughs> so why, why? If they ask me, I will be like, hey, just so you know, that's an incorrect fact. You asked me, hey, so you don't have any absinthe, right? Oh, you just asked me. That was. It. But I learned the hard way to not step in to correct people and just to allow things to happen. And that's the same idea with your question of maturity of going from not knowing anything being a bartender uh, and saying, yeah, I mean, how do you make that apple martini? I just want to make sure we're making it the same way because I had no idea. So you say, hey, how do you make it? Yeah, that sounds good. I'll make it the same way. To telling people that this is the preferred bitters or the amount of bitters in an old fashion. Yeah. To saying, hey, within reason, anything is anything. So it's like this big arc 
personally because I you know started bartending and then you get to a point where you're working with people and uh, we have classes that I don't teach anymore but uh, the senior current staff at Sugar House teaches but mixology 101 uh, there's classes that they'll do like a focus of just like rum for two hours or scotch for two hours and I, I taught those after Dave taught those because he was like listen it's great I love teaching these I just can't talk to this many people anymore I just uh, hey Yanni why don't you come here on a Sunday morning and talk to 20 people about how to make it old-fashioned sounds great I'm excited that sounds great so it was really fun for me to do that and to go from okay we're I'm trying to teach myself how to do something that I have no idea to now I'm working with people that don't necessarily know what they're doing but we're all working together to achieve the same goal of making something great to talking to guests that have no idea anything. And it was really wild because we would have guests that do the classes that have never been at the bar. So they would come in on a Sunday morning and be like, wow, this place is so cool. I'm like, so yeah, this is what we do. This is what we're about. We don't have flavored vodkas, et cetera, et cetera. And they're like, holy cow. You know, they'll, they'll ask me questions like, wow, you guys do this? And Bob, I'm like, yeah, have you not been here before? They're like, no, we just saw this fun thing to do. And no one else is offering mixology classes or how to make an old-fashioned at home. So here we are. And then awesome. they usually come back later on that night. What a beautiful marketing Or team. later on that week or month or whatever. And that's super cool. But to be able to talk to guests in a way that... And you're teaching them because they want to learn. They're paying for you to teach them how to make an old-fashioned. We did a Sazerac. We did... No, we did an old... No, I'm forgetting. We did an old-fashioned in Manhattan and a daiquiri. Or like just a lime, um, simple syrup, rum, shaken, strain. Just so we had a shaken cocktail and then two stirred cocktails. Uh, And that was great. And then people really loved that. We all made them together. We had little stations so that you came in and did that. To, again, being uh, just around. To, okay, now, hey, Yanni, you've been here for five years. You know how to make every single drink that we've ever made, ever. This guy has only worked in bartending for one year. Show him what's up. Have him be able to work next to you. And it's such a... Oh, I'm, I'm so proud inadvertently, and I know that's a weird thing to say, but like I know so many bartenders that literally came from nowhere. They were valet. They were, res- they were chefs. They were salespeople. And they were like, Yanni, I want to learn how to bartend. Or here I am. I'm, I got hired for whatever reason. I'm training to be a bartender and I worked with these people and now they're bar managers or bar owners around the city after so many years. And it's, it's, it's crazy to think about, you know? So, and you were a pivotal point in that trajectory. Wild. I, it's hard. It's hard for me to like say that I was, but you know, cause I don't like having that ego in that sense, but it's crazy to have like, you've never learned how to, you've never bartended to here is the skills to now you're, a head bartender at the place that I used to work at. Now you're a percentage owner, equity, whatever, at a place that you are helping to create the concept. It's wild. And that is wild. You know, being in Detroit for, uh, what was it? I say 2000, whatever. So like 13 years, 14 years, 15 years in Detroit. I guess that happens after so many years of being in the same place. Yeah. So what about you? If not hospitality, like you caught the bug early. Mm-hmm. If not hospitality, 
where would you have seen yourself? Oh man, it's this is in my blood. Not to say that I would be doing other things, but my father was a chef. My mother is still a hair. You're one of the a, rare a you're, stylists. You're a unicorn. I'm one just of the rare few. Weirdly, uh, and I and I a, a few years back when someone was asking me on some random interview about when we were opening this bar, like, oh, how, how did you end up in bartending? And I thought about it for a second. I weirdly had this like, almost like you're about to get murdered or die, and you have like a flash. Like, how did you not you end up here? everything. Yeah. And at that one weird moment, I don't remember what the interview was. I wish I could tell you. I realized that I grew up in every, and maybe it's a Michigan thing, or maybe it's a Greek thing. Both my parents were, you know, are Greek. I, I don't know what it was, but we always had a wet bar at all of my houses. My grandparents had a wet bar, full wet bar, like six seats in a basement with a sink, wet bar. My parents had a wet bar six seats in their basement bar so my my uncle and my grandparents who gave it to my uncle my dad's brother has a restaurant a diner who has a 10 seat diner countertop bar with you know stools and stuff i grew up there i would sit at the one counter and that's what i would do for the whole day and until my mom was done with work and picked me up from the restaurant or whatever which still exists the park restaurant Southfield and Fort Street and Downriver in Lincoln Park. So I don't know. It's like that's amazing. It's a weird yeah. thing to like think about. Like, oh man, you've always, I've always been around a bar. I'm not saying like I want to continue to always be chained to a bar, but like it's feels natural to just like what we're doing here is just like hanging out, sitting, and just like chit chatting. So I always said that. Um, when I was interviewed for Hennessy, I was never looking for a job. As an ambassador, I was happy running that wonderful bar in Toronto. And they said, like, when are, when are you uncomfortable and when are you comfortable? And I was like, if I'm behind a bar talking about alcohol, I'm comfortable. If you put me out anywhere else and ask me about anything else, I might be uncomfortable. Sure. But if I'm back there, it makes sense to me. And I always felt like the bar, the bar's safety to me. Like staff could find me even contemplating difficult decisions, leaning against the ice well, mm -hmm. looking at the back bar. Like finding the answer in the, the, the images back there. The shapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The colors. It was comfort. It's wild. But I was also happy to know that like, like, life is chaos to me. And somebody can probably say this more profound, but, like, life is chaos. A bar on a Saturday night is chaos. But if you're behind the bar, you have a barrier. Like, the chaos, you're in control. You said it earlier. You're the adult it's not in even, the room. It's not even that you're in control. You direct. Yeah. You're, you're the conductor. You're not playing the trumpet, but you're, like... You're telling the trumpet people to play louder. You're or in softer. charge of the party. Yeah, You're yeah. just kind of like moving the energy and flow. And people, I and I really appreciate getting comments in this respect of like, man, you really set the ambiance really good. Like the music and the lighting and the smell and all of these things that people don't necessarily think about. Cool. Thank you so much for doing that. I don't. It's far and few between but like that's what i try that's what we try i always try to do that well. with the staff like hey take a step back how does the room feel i know your bar station is set up really great and you know where all your spoons and knives and stuff are but like the guest isn't stepping behind the bar 
they're on the, they're sitting at the table. So sit at a chair. Is it comfortable? Is is it too hot or cold? I don't ask. I don't check the temperature behind the bar. I stand in the middle of the floor of the room and be like, oh, does it feel comfortable or hot or too cold for the guests? Is the music too loud for the guests? Not for us at the yeah. bar. And in that same way of saying like we're orchestrating in a sense of just like directing the energy. Sometimes people are loud. So to combat that, we'll play faster music. We don't always play the same type of music because it just depends. Some people are like, what, what do you play on a Saturday night? I'm like, who's here? What time is it? Because it matters. All yeah. of those little weird little things matter. There's no reason anyone would expect this bar to exist in Detroit. And that's no knock on Detroit. I love Detroit. Detroit, I'm more excited to visit Detroit than, than most cities. When people are like, why do you like Detroit? I was like, well, you're part of it. But also, everything I've seen here is like, everybody that loves Detroit loves it for a great reason. There's a lot of great architecture here. There's a wonderful vibe here. There's a hard working, like, it's almost like everybody in Detroit is like pseudo hospitality. Like, they have that mentality mm-hmm. of like, the job needs to get done. Let's do it. It's like, that weird. No one's going to mid- do the it's job. It's that like for Midwestern you. kind of do it. vibe. Yeah. And, and I, I love Detroit for that, like, hard mentality it's like it, it there's this hustle's got a weird vibe to it but like it's this weird hustle vibe where like it yeah get, it's get it's hard working it's done. not just kind of doing anything yeah. it's just doing what you feel is right and just going for it i've always liked that about Detroit. and you know coming from canada anytime you visit Detroit, they're like oh man i love canada i was like let me get let me guess before the age of 21 sure, you visited a lot of course of course it's like yeah yeah, visit a lot. I but think that's a really good I, point, though. I never really realized that about Midwestern culture to within reason. But but I, I love it. It's like Detroit is a city of the world that, like, when the auto plants here died, would, had a reduction. Mm-hmm. It it got forgotten about, but it's for me, it's not lost that city of the world vibe. No. And it is a city of the world, and I think you are a bar that... If you're anywhere, if you're in a New York, if you're in a London, if you're in a Barcelona, you're winning all the awards. Thank you. Thank you. And I think you needed, please get more of an ego when it comes to that <laughs> because you, you all deserve it. It's amazing. I really appreciate it. It's, I really do. Thank you. We just, regardless of me, it's, it's just having a good team that wants to give a great service. Yeah. And I always look for things that I don't get anywhere else. Not to say there aren't great restaurants that exist, but there's just not a lot of great places that it's just I can go. And the person who's working there is just like semi-knowledgeable slash semi-happy to hear this is where I am. This is what I'm doing. What can I get for you? I just That's like just the bare minimum, just the bare minimum. So if, if I can just perpetuate that, then I feel like I'm doing my service for the world. Uh, well, that's that said beautifully. So with that, with, with your sort of mind intact, give me like a weekend in Detroit. If somebody's visiting Detroit, where are yeah. they going? Yeah, yeah. So And uh, you have to include this bar because well, thank you. you would be call remiss ahead, if you didn't go. Call, if it's Friday or Saturday, call us the day before or make a reservation or hit us an email or whatever. Because they're not open Sunday. We're not open Sunday and we're only 30 people and we can only fit so many people in a night in in a, in a moment slash in a whole night. So just give us a heads up. So that's just, I always tell that to anyone, friends, family, 
promotions, like just just let us know. Hey, you're from out of town. That's great. We'd love to accommodate you. Just email us, call us, reservation, whatever. Just don't show up one second before you want to come in yeah. at eight o'clock on a Friday. And we already have people that have already done a little bit of work to yeah. secure a spot. So anyways Rules for any good bar that are really small. City. Yeah. Especially. So we that's that's us. So regardless, we're in Capitol Park. Come see us. We're right next to Campus Martius, which is not even a block away. Um, there's always random events there. The tree lighting ceremony. Uh, they do ice skating in the winter. They do uh, summer fun events. So there's always, again, I'm saying that because that's you always checked on what's going on. There's always a lot of weird, not weird, but like unique. That's a better way of saying it. Unique, random things happening in Detroit all the time. And I just hit up Google and I'm just like, what's going on in Detroit for the weekend? And it's usually pretty good about people because, you know, there's so many things going on. People want to promote mm-hmm. what's up. So having that. So I would say check out something random. And then the foundational things that are always there, the DIA, Detroit Institute of Art, is amazing. Uh, not to say that we have the best in the world, but we have one of the top museums. Highly check that out. Really great spot. Um, regardless of like the millions of restaurants and uh, bars as well. One of my, uh, I mean, Sugar House is great. You know, always got to talk about restaurants, you know, uh, right and company. I really love uh, a little bit out of the beaten path. Southwest Detroit is a tiki bar called Mutiny. Uh, just like the most tiki tiki bar. There isn't Brilliant. a lot of tiki bars in Michigan. Uh, there's some on the other side of the state in Grand Rapids, uh, which are really great and cool, but we're in Detroit and that's more than an hour away from us. So that's a really great spot. Just like, it's almost like a dive tiki bar. Super cool spot. Uh, I would uh, check that out if you're into tiki stuff. Um, museum. I love going there. Um, random events at Campus Martius. Uh, there's always stuff going on in the waterfront as well in the Detroit River. Uh, so, and it's just like, it's, it's random. There's like, they'll do outdoor concerts. They'll do uh, at the DTE headquarters. They have like a, there's a restaurant called Lumen because of the lights. So DTE energy. Um, they have like an outdoor fake grass area and they'll do like a dome in the winter and it's uncovered in the summer and they just do like random events there too and a lot of them are free so it's really cool to be in a city where a lot of stuff is free you just show up and it's just like other than checking your calendar and the date and time like it's free they'll do like winter stuff they'll do summer stuff and it's a lot of belle isle is a great spot uh and i guess the only other random thing that i have to throw out there is michigan's a great disc golf place and that's my hobby it has nothing to do with bartending so i'm just gonna throw that out there I love disc golf. Michigan is a top disc golf place. Play some disc golf. Let's play some disc golf next love time. Love to. I played a lot of ultimate frisbee. Oh my gosh! If you, uh, I would love to play disc golf. All right, let's do that. Um, social handles for the bar for you. Uh, Where can people? Bad find Luck you? Bar Detroit. Um, mine is Yanni Detroit. Y A N I Detroit. Um, those. I mean, w- everything for Bad Luck is just Bad Luck Bar. So Brilliant. we got really lucky, and the Facebook and the Instagram. You mean nobody had a bar <laughs> called Bad Luck out there? There's Bad Luck Saloon, <laughs> and there was, like, multiple. Like, for yeah. some reason, Bad Luck Saloon is very popular. But, like, Bad Luck Bar, Bad Luck Lounge, or Bad Luck Cocktail Bar doesn't, didn't. I, there are some now, but yeah. at the time didn't exist. So we have the Instagram. Um, we don't do too much on the TikTok, but we have that. Technically, that exists somewhere. Yeah. But Instagram and Facebook, Bad Luck Bar, and we have a website, Bad Luck Bar. Brilliant. Love to uh, well, see you. Brother, thank, thank you, you for so the much. time. Amazing. It's great amazing. to see you. Thank you so Always much for chatting. Us.